Hi, this is Kevin McCullough. Thanks for listening to the Christian Outlook podcast, where we cover today's issues from a perspective that honors your Christian faith. Our podcast is brought to you through a partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. Here's another piece I trust you'll enjoy. I got a question for my next guest. It frustrates me. It frustrates me that the United States Supreme Court cannot just make a decision and everybody line up behind that decision. No, especially we're seeing a a gross um, a situation here of what's happening to a church in Maine that they're still operating on some of these ridiculous restrictions of a year ago. Well, Matt Staver, my good friend, is joining me from the Liberty Council. Uh, he is the senior pastor. He's the founder, and he's the chairman of Liberty Council. And today I want to talk to Matt about what's going on in Maine and help us understand again why we have to be vigilant case by case as cancel culture wants to destroy attending church in America. Matt, good to have you with us this afternoon. Thank you. Good to be with you, Bill. Tell me why, when it's very clear the Supreme Court has ruled on a similar case, uh, why do you and others have to go through resources and have to go to another jurisdiction to get the same ruling? Well, that's a great question. And, uh, you know, we've seen these lower courts just literally disobey the U.S. Supreme Court on these church restrictions. Time after time again, we have to continually go back to higher courts, including the U.S. Supreme Court, to get them to stop. And, and then it's kind of like whack-a-mole. They, differ, they do it in a different way. So, for example, in Maine, Maine now has the most restrictive restrictions on churches and places of worship in the country. After California, where we had to go to the Supreme Court twice to strike down the total ban on worship there with regards to our churches in California, and we're still fighting some of the remaining restrictions that are still in the governor's executive order. But in Maine, it started off as no worship, then 10 people. Then 50 people, and then after we went to the U.S. Supreme Court with the main case earlier this year, which it's pending there now, they came back with a modified order that says no more than five people per 1,000 feet. Well, they knew that Calvary Chapel of Bangor has 10,000 square feet in the sanctuary and that it's still 50 feet. Now, this particular church, you can see it from the very beginning, the illegal discrimination that's taking place. First of all, it says in Maine, just like in other places, that you can have in the same church an unlimited number of people so long as it's to feed them, shelter them, or provide them secular social services. Wow. So you can provide them counseling. And this particular ministry has an amazing one-year residential discipleship program for people who have been addicted to drugs and alcohol. 24 men, 24 women, they live on campus, on site, and they have mandatory church attendance. So here's the situation. you got 48 of them, right? <laughs> so when you had zero, when you had 10, or when you have 50 right now, you, cannot, you can have those same people in the same church. You can counsel them about alcohol and drug abuse. You can counsel them how to find a job. But as soon as the pastor takes out the Bible starts preaching and says, let's have a time for praise and worship, that becomes illegal because it's always been illegal from day one. And that is the continuing case that we're facing right now. And that's not even considering adding other people from the congregation that are not part of this residential discipleship program. And it's very important for both the people in the church that are not in the program 
and the people in the program to interact with one another because they pray for one another, they get inspired by one another, they learn from one another, and they're the church family. So this pastor has been operating illegally, quote-unquote, but illegally under the governor's order, for which the penalties are criminal as well as civil fines, since the very beginning, going back to March of 2020. And he just decided, after he shut down for a while, he looked around, he saw the hurting people in his community. He first said, there's no way that we can cut Christ out of the actual discipleship program, so we just can't do that. So from day one, he continued to worship with them. The other people, he said, we'll do it online. Uh, And then he looked around. Liquor stores, abortion clinics, big box centers, shopping malls, they're open. And he said, you know, my people are hurting. And then some of the people that were watching online that were not in the discipleship program saw their brothers and sisters in the discipleship program worshiping church, and they called Pastor Ken Graves and said, Pastor, I miss my church family. If I come to church, will the doors be locked? And it broke Pastor Ken's heart, and he said, no, the doors won't be locked. Come if you want. And so they began coming. And, in fact, he has stated before court that it would be a sin for him as a pastor, a preacher of the gospel, to tell people, I'm not going to let you come to my church, that that would be a sin for him as a pastor. And I've never heard it quite put that way, but it's quite poignant. Let me ask you this, uh, Matt Staver. By the way, if you're just tuning in, Matt Staver, a uh, very good friend. Um, he is a pastor, a founder, and chairman at Liberty Council. And by the way, probably one of the most easiest website I get a chance to get out, lc.org, lc.org. Make sure that's uh, one of your favorites. So I think what Satan is up to in a general sense, and we'll get back specifically to this case, but I, I just love that I can talk to you now, uh, put your pastor hat on, And that is, uh, we must see that those of us who are Christ followers have a Christian worldview, that as much as the government, whether it's federal, local, state, etc., in those more left-leaning states, the more they can keep people away from uh, assembling together, and we know that the word says do not forsake the assembly of, of ourselves with other believers, but the idea, as long as they can drag this out and hold it out, we know already that a lot of people who were going to church aren't. A lot of people who are listening online aren't. They're just not showing up. I believe that's part of the grand plan. True or false to you? True. In fact, uh, Gallup, that has been doing this survey for 80 years of church attendance, found that 2020, for the first time in 80 years, dipped down below 50%. It was 47% of people are attending church, 47%. And if you go back to just a few years ago, it was 70%. And so what you see happening in 2020 is the church attendance has precipitously dropped. Now, I know pastors originally said, well, we're seeing more people come online than we ever had before. That's true at the time. But those online numbers have trickled down. And moreover, when you begin to open your church, you find that those online viewers are not coming to your church. And what we find is church is really essential. For example, we said a year ago, because we're we're in a one-year situation. These restrictions started one year ago. In fact, Bill, it was the last Sunday of March. Uh, where Pastor Rodney Howard Brown had his service in the last Monday in March of 2020, where he was arrested. Yes, I remember. pastor in the world to be arrested right here in Florida. 
And so when you lock down these churches, what you see happening is all kinds of social ills increase, let alone the salvation for individual souls. But we're talking about individual social ills such as domestic abuse, child abuse, pornography, Mm -hmm. child sexual Mm -hmm. exploitation, drug and alcohol abuse, legal and illegal drug consumption, depression, anxiety, and even suicide. In fact, in Maine, there's a tragic story of a 16-year-old high school young man, and the schools were locked down because of the same governor, Janet Mills, orders, and he got depressed. He couldn't go meet with his family, I should say his friends, and his high school career was coming to an end right in front of his face, and he ended up committing suicide. What we find is the suicide rate among teenagers and young people, even younger than teens, is at a skyrocketing level, and it's all over the country. Churches need to be open because it's where hurting people need to go for help. You know, church is essential, and yet they consider liquor stores essential and abortion clinics essential. And all these other things essential. You know, Amazon warehouses are essential, and you can pack them in there, Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. big box centers and so forth. And you can buy essential things such as picture frames or potted plants. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, But churches, mm -hmm. they say, are not essential. And, you know, that is a direct attack on the Church of Jesus Christ. And you're right. They think that the longer, first of all, during the election cycle, they wanted to close the churches. They didn't want people gathering together and, and talking about the upcoming election. They didn't want candidates going and speaking at these churches. They didn't want people coming together. And so now we're past that, and they continue to exert their uh, authority, which is really no authority. It's unconstitutional. But they continue to shut these churches down, and at the, at, in doing so, they will intend, and that's what their intent is, to crush the churches. And it's already worked in 2020. Mm. What I can say, however, is those churches that we represent, we represent some amazing people and pastors and churches around the country. Those churches that against adversity, against criminal arrest threats and fines, some of whom have gone to jail or been fined, when they continue to press forward and say, no, this is God's calling, open the church, it's very essential to do so, we have to minister to hurting people. Those churches are going through an amazing revival right now around the country. But other churches are still suffering because they're under these governor's orders, and some of them are not you know, willing to take that risk, as some of these pastors, like the pastor in Maine, is willing to take that risk. Mm. Just, if you're just joining us, it is uh, Matt Staver with us. Uh, the website for Liberty Council is lc.org, lc.org. Only got about a minute left, uh, Matt, but uh, first of all, congratulations on those two big victories that you talked about in, in California. They were they were long in coming, and I know you, you and your team worked hard. But a quick question. So now we have a decision that's already been made in California. Uh, we got 30 seconds. Uh, you're going to file. The petition's been filed. How long will it take for this to be decided upon, even be with the fact they already decided on this at the Supreme Court? Well, we're asking for all the courts, uh, whether it's California, Maine, the Supreme Court, to expedite the rulings, and that's why we've been to the Supreme Court five times already with three major victories at the Supreme Court in in really less than a year because this litigation started in in April of last year. So we're moving fast because time is of the essence. All right. Folks, I want to tell you what I'm so proud of Liberty Council and Matt and Anita 
Uh, what a team they have made down through the years, and they are very, very special people. Of course, Matt is uh, the founder of Liberty Council, senior pastor and chairman. Hey, go to lc.org, make it a favorite, and know that they take these cases on depending on others to, to help with, to defray the costs. Hey, consider a contribution there. Matt Staver, we got to go. Hey, thanks for taking time out of your busy schedule to be with us today. Thank you. My pleasure. Thanks for listening to Christian Outlook. Our program is coming to you today in partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. It's America's most unique graduate leadership programs offered on Pepperdine's breathtaking campus in Malibu, California. Learn more at publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. If you enjoy our podcast, take a moment and tell a friend to subscribe today.